is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The opinions voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning. Here, the last Saturday morning of 2022. I'm a wealth advisor, certified financial planner, credit investment fiduciary, all those nice things. Let's start out today talking about the weekly wrap for this last week. The year shaped up to be like most of 2022. Disappointing for the stock market. The major indices remained under pressure from continued weakness in some of the most beaten-up names this year. Specifically, mega-cap losses accelerated this week on lingering valuation concerns and presumably tax-loss-selling activity by participants who bought into the seemingly invincible stocks last year. Some of the mega-cap names aren't so mega anymore, given the massive losses in market capitalization that they have suffered this year. The Mega Cap Growth ETF fell three-tenths of 1% this week and is down 34% this year. The Santa Claus rally period, which encompasses the last five trading days of the year and the first two trading sessions of the new year, has gotten off to an uneven start. It is believed to be a good sign for how a new year will start when this period produces a cumulative gain over that stretch. Since 2022 was a the definite exception to that belief. Recall that in 2021, Santa Claus rally produced a net gain of 1.4% for the S&P 500, and yet the S&P 500 declined 5.3% this January and 5% in the first quarter. It looked like Santa Claus might come charging to town following Thursday's rally. The S&P 500 closed the session just a whisker below the 3,850 level which is where it remained since mid-December, but then it backed off again in Friday's trade. When this year's Santa Claus rally period began, the S&P 500 stood at 3,822.39. The S&P 500 closed Friday's session at 3,839.50 after visiting the 3,800 level, so it did actually finish up a little bit for the week. It was a disappointing week in the Treasury market. The two-year note rose 10 basis points to 4.42%, and the ten-year, the two, yeah, the two-year note rose 10 basis points. The ten-year uh, to 4.42. The ten-year note rose 13 basis points to 3.88%. The bump in yields was another headwind for equities, particularly the growth stocks, which was the case all year. The Russell 3000 growth index fell three tenths of one percent this week and 29.6% for the year, versus the Russell 3000 Value Index, which rose a tenth of 1% this week and fell 10.1% for the year. I've talked about this a lot before, but your growth stocks are basically those fangs, the Facebooks, the Amazons, the Apples, the Netflix, the Googles, the Microsofts, and on the other side, you have your dividend-paying stocks, which we refer to as value stocks. Separately, Southwest Air was an individual story stock of note after the airline canceled thousands of flights due to winter storm. Tesla was another focal point, trading in roller coaster fashion. The stock hit 108.76 at its low on Tuesday, leaving it down 69% for the year, but managed to rebound and hit a high of 124.48 in Friday's trade. Only two of the 11 S&P 500 sectors closed with a gain this week in thin trading conditions. The financial sectors rose 7 tenths of 1%. The average energy sector rose 6 tenths of 1%, aided by a bump in oil prices above $80 a barrel. Meanwhile, the materials and consumer staples sectors were the most worst performers, with losses of 1.2% and 0.9% respectively. 
The economic calendar was light on major releases this week. Featured reports included the November pending home sales index, which declined 4%, and continuing jobless claims for the week ending December 17th, which hits their highest level since February, 1.710 million. Next week, we'll see a cascade of major releases that includes the December ISM Manufacturing Index, the December Employment Situation Report, and the December ISM Non-Manufacturing Index. So year-to-date, the index has finished up the year. The Dow Jones Industrial Average finished down 8.8% for the year. The NASDAQ was down 33.1% for the year. The S&P 500 finished down 19.4% for the year. And the Russell 2000 Index was down 21.6% for the year. So let's take a look at our high-frequency data tracker that we follow, what's happening in different sectors of the economy. And we saw initial Dobbs claims for the week ending December 23rd hit 225,000. That was a decrease of, or an increase actually of 4.2%. And continuing claims as of December 16th, 1,710,000. That was also an increase in, in continuing claims of 2.3%. Box office receipts and for the uh, for week December 23rd to 29th were down about 1.6%. From a week before, rail car traffic as of December 23rd, down almost 16%. Steel production as of December 26th was down about eight-tenths of 1%. Hotel occupancy for the week ending December 24th was down almost 20%, 19.4% to be exact. I think a lot of people traveling, all those people sitting in airports, those hotel occupancy numbers would have been better. We'll see what comes up a week from now. Uh, the restaurant industry, December 28th, I saw a drop of almost 18%. TSA checkpoint data as of December 29th, total of 2,055,226 passengers a day on the average pass through TSA checkpoints. That was a drop of 11.4%. The supply of motor gasoline as of December 23rd was up about 7%. And the global commercial flights for the week ending December 29th averaged 93,343,000 93, a day for the week ending the 29th. And that was a drop of 10.3% in global flights. So a drop in the flights from both domestic and global and hotels. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We'll come back in a minute. We'll thank you for being with us. Ready to put some skin in the game? The only sports book north of Snohomish County is now open at Silver Reef Casino Resort. Get in the game with baseball, football, basketball, hockey, and your other favorite sports. Visit Portage Bay Sportsbook and Bar and place your bets today. Sportsbook open daily at 9 a.m. Betting kiosks open 24-7. Silver Reef Casino Resort, located off I-5 exit 260. We've got that. At Silver Reef Casino Resort, we've got that. Escape the hustle and bustle of the city and get ready for a fun and relaxation-filled getaway. Luxury hotel rooms? Yep. Championship golf? Mm-hmm. Top-rated casino with all the best slots and table games? Yes and yes. World-class dining at the region's best and Wine Spectator award-winning steakhouse? Yes, please. The total package is only missing one thing. You. Silver Reef Casino Resort. Located off I-5, exit 260. We've got that. Bill Davis here to tell you about my favorite and most trusted heating professional. That's Feller Heating. With over 40 years of consistent quality service, Feller Heating and Air Conditioning make you and me the priority. They offer residential HVAC, commercial HVAC, and service and repair. Plus, as a Daikin dealer, they can perfect the air you share with the world's number one indoor comfort solutions systems. Feller Heating, they design peace of mind. You can find them online at fellerheating.com. That's fellerheating.com. In the shop. Toyota is still fully vested in the internal combustion engine, and they saw as a visionary the future being a, uh, a fuel cell vehicle. Steve from Panacea, Kurt from Angler, Brian from Dr. John's, and Dan from Bellingham and Burlington Automotive. The efficiency's there, but find me a location where you can go fuel up your hydrogen fuel cell yeah. here in, in Whatcom <laughs> County. In the shop, 9 to 10 a.m. every Saturday on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM, and KGMI.com. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. And I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the 
welcome back to Well Play the Five this Saturday morning here in KGMI. We are live. Want to wish everybody a happy new year. I hope you had a great Christmas season with your families and uh, looking forward to 2023. After 2022, I, we're ready to have some good times in the markets, we hope, and we'll see what happens. Uh, a little bit. We're Asset Advisors. We are located out in Ferndale, about actually halfway to Ferndale, out on the Pacific Highway next to Wilson's Furniture in the Pacific Commerce Center. And our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248. Our phone number, 360-733-1200. And check out our website at wealthwakeup.com. And we're talking about the wealth, the wealthwakeup.com. Uh, you'll find some interesting information there. I mentioned Secure 2.0, which passed as part of the omnibus spending bill here on December 23rd. And our Carson team has put together an update on the um, Secure 2.0. And so if you go into our website, there's two things you can do. One, if you go into our podcast, you can see it here, a replay, or get a link directly into a replay for these shows that we do every Saturday and Sunday. And if you go under Insights, you'll find updates as far as our research team and their outlook for the markets and what's going on. But you'll also find information on Secure 2.0. And um, so uh, also this uh, Thursday, uh, Jamie Hopkins, who uh, heads up our uh, uh, team of, of, of especially our, our uh, say our legal, not legal team, but our uh, financial planning team, um, attorney, CPA, all the nice red designations, et cetera, very well acknowledged across the country as one of the top people in the industry. Uh, he's going to be hosting a webinar talking about Secure 2.0. And if you're interested as a listener, you can give us a call at the office, uh, 360-733-1200. We'll go ahead and send you the link so that you can sit in on that Thursday afternoon at 1 o'clock our time. And... Um, so um, like to let you know that that's going to happen. And while we're talking about Secure 2.0, I mentioned last week some of the highlights. But one of the big highlights in it was the increase in the age for starting your required minimum distributions or RMDs out of your retirement plan, accounts. And uh, so when will you need to be, be again now is going to depend on your age at the end of the year. So to give you a high-level summary of that, if your year of birth is before 1950, 1950 and earlier, and you reach 72 this year in 2022 or earlier, then you must have already started RMDs and you have to continue to take them. However, if your year of birth was between 1951 and 1959 and you reach 72 after this year, for example, if you'll reach uh, 73 next year or before 2033, now you have the ability to wait an additional year. So if you turn 72 next year, you have to be 72 before. Uh, if you reach 72 after 2022, uh, then you can wait to your age 73. I know that sounds a little confusing, but the RMD age now is 73. If you're not 73 already, you can wait until you're 73. And then if you're born between 1959 and later, you'll reach age 74 in 2033 and after. And so then RMDs will begin at age 75. So they've increased the age for starting RMDs. So those that are not 73 yet as of now... Uh, can wait until they're 73, and those that reach 73 before 2033 um, can wait until they're 74. So uh, rather interesting little play around in numbers there, but basically they're letting people leave that money alone longer to let it grow tax-deferred. It also opens up the opportunity for us to go in and talk about doing things like Roth conversions. It means that if you don't have to take that money, it can grow longer tax-deferred if you don't need it. So adding some additional flexibility. Uh, of course, they want us to do those Roth conversions because they want that tax money. But um, just a couple of little updates there for you. 
Well, seeing a lot of interesting news come out here with its rising interest rates, rising inflation. One of the pieces I saw came out this week talked about credit market cracks that are starting to widen as distressed debt reaches about $650 billion. And basically they're saying that there's multiple stress points that are emerging in credit markets after years of excesses from banks stuck with piles of buyout debt, a pension uh, blow up in the United Kingdom, all those still some real estate troubles in China and South Korea, and the cheap money was becoming a thing of the past. Uh, they, those those must, may, may just be the start. Distressed debt in the U.S. alone jumped more than 300% in the last 12 months. High yield issuance, which is more challenging in Europe and leveraging ratios, have reached a record by some measures. And the strains are largely linked to aggressive rate increases by the Federal Reserve and other central banks around the world, which have dramatically changed the landscape for lending, upending credit markets, and pushing economies toward recessions a scenario that markets have yet to price in. Globally, almost $650 billion of bonds and loans are in a distressed territory, according to data compiled by Bloomberg. It's all adding up to the biggest test of the robustness of the corporate credit since the financial crisis and may be a spark for a wave of defaults. Banks say that their wider credit models are proving robust so far, but they've begun setting aside more money for missed payments. Loss loan or loan loss provisions are systematically uh, systemically important. Banks surged 75% in the third quarter compared with a year earlier, a clear indication that they're bracing for payment issues and defaults. And most economists forecast a moderate slump over the next year. A deep recession, however, could cause significant credit issues because the global financial system is vastly overleveraged. Right now, the outlook for economic growth is a concern. Rolling recessions are likely across the globe this next year, with the U.S. likely to slip into one by the middle of the year. The market has, has, has bloomed in recent years. There was $834 million of leverage loan issuance in the U.S. last year, more than double the rate of 2007 before the financial crisis hit. As the demand grew, so did the risk. As new US lo- as in new U.S. loan deals this year, total leverage deals are a record versus earnings. We're also seeing that many investors have been caught uh, out, caught out by the uh, have been caught out by the Fed this year. They've consistently bet that the threat of recession would force the central bank to ease off, only to have been repeatedly burned by tough talk and tough action. And while the pace of hikes has slowed, Chair Jerome Powell has also been clear that rates still have to go higher and will stay elevated for some time. The secured overnight financing rate, which is a dollar benchmark for pricing, is about 430 basis points. That would be 4.3%, and it's an 8,500% increase since the start of the year. And in the new world of higher interest rates and greater risk aversion, there's already a squeeze in global banks, which have been saddled with about $40 billion of buyout debt, ranging from Twitter to Automaker Tentacle, and lenders expected to quickly offer off the loads of bonds and loans linked to those acquisitions have been unable to do so. So basically what we're saying there is the banks, for example, that put up the money for Elon Musk to buy Twitter, they thought they could turn right back around and turn all that debt off. They have not been able to do it. And there's another reason for concern. The search for yield during the quantitative easing was so desperate that borrowers were able to soften investor protections known as covenants, meaning that investors were far more exposed to risk. For example, more than 90% of leveraged loans issued in 20 and 21 have limited restrictions on which borrowers can do, can, can do with the money. So basically, they just opened up the spigot, gave them the money, and said, go spend it. The market's awash with cash. More firms opted for cheap loans that had few covenants, something that has altered balance sheets. Historically, corporates typically used a combination of senior loans, bonds that ranked lower in the payment scale, and equities to fund themselves. Over the last decade, however, demand has allowed firms to cut out the subordinated debt, meaning that investors are likely to get less money back if borrowers default. Almost 75% of issuers in the U.S., have, have 
uh, only loans there uh, uh, have only loans in their debt capital structure compared to about fifty percent in two thousand thirteen, and higher bar- higher borrowing costs could also have an impact on the collateralization loan obligation market, which pool leveraged loans and then securitize them and and trenches and bury risk. The uh, erosion of covenant protections also means. And the, the other investors in leveraged loans, such as mutual funds, are more vulnerable to losses than in the past, and recovery values as a result could be lower than average when defaults do occur. So because they took a lot of those covenants out, there is definitely more exposure out there. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live here on KGMI. We'll be back shortly. The holidays are over, but the savings aren't at DeWard and Bodie's annual year-end sale on now. This week, score year-end deals on a huge selection of in-stock appliances from laundry sets, refrigerators, wall ovens, cooktops, ranges, and so much more with savings up to 40% off. Now through Sunday, DeWard and Bodie is offering no-interest special financing on select in-stock purchases. So shop today and keep your cash with no money down and no interest for up to two full years on select purchases. Now is the time to get end-of-season savings on closeout appliances from the industry's leading brands like Whirlpool, GE, KitchenAid, Bosch, LG, and high-end brands like Thermador, Wolf, Mila, and more. Save on floor models, one-onlys, and slightly blemished appliances. Plus, get fast professional delivery and installation. DeWard and Bodie services the products they sell, so shop in confidence with worry-free warranty plans. Don't miss the year-end savings event at DeWard and Bodie in Bellingham and Burlington. Delivery, service, install, they do it all at DeWard and Bodie. Financing OAC qualifications apply. Hello folks, are you ready to get your estate planning affairs in order but you don't know where to start? Would you like to hear about the difference between wills and trusts? Do you want to learn how to avoid probate? Do you have questions about Social Security and Medicare? Is it important to you to make life as easy as possible on your spouse and loved ones if something should happen to you? This is Phil George. I'm an elder law and estate planning attorney here in Bellingham. Join me right here on KGMI every Saturday at 1 p.m. for the aging hour and let me show you how to set your family up for success in your retirement. Nugent's Corner Market and Hardware is your locally owned and operated grocery and hardware store proud to source delicious and healthy food from local farmers, producers, ranchers, and fishers and proud to serve the residents and visitors of the Mount Baker foothills. Whatever you need, there's a very good chance you'll find it at the Nugent's Corner Market and Hardware at a fair price. Make the Nugent's Corner Market and Hardware your first and last stop of the day. Nugent's Corner Market and Hardware, open seven days a week from 8 until 8. KGMI Connects with Joe Tian is about our community and you. I and a lot of other people would like to see Biden rot in hell. Oh, you okay. know what? He gave away our biggest bargaining chip. Each weekday at 4 p.m. You know, I kind of agree that if Griner was a white sheetrock hanger from uh, Cleveland, Ohio, and I think it did the same thing, yeah, he'd probably still be there. That's just the way the world turns. On KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM, and KGMI.com. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Don't worry about your furnace on the coldest days of the year. Talk with West Mechanical, your independent train dealer, about replacing your old inefficient furnace with a train comfort system. Today, find them at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Yes, News Brief. With bone-chilling temps, Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir with a warning. You can get frostbite in 20 to 30 minutes of exposure. It is too dangerous to be outside today. The winter storm causing travel headaches for millions of Americans trying to get to their holiday destinations. Roads are messy and dangerous. And if you've got a flight scheduled, check before you go. This man's at New York's LaGuardia Airport, and he's frustrated. Trying to search on our phones, figure out other routes, maybe even taking a bus from here to Atlanta, which it'll take us about 21 hours. Fed workers with a sigh of relief. The House just passed the $1.7 trillion spending bill to keep government funded through September. Not everyone was on board. Republican Congressman Chip Roy of Texas. Destroying the United States of America. Well, the bill is now on President Biden's desk awaiting his signature. CBS News Brief. I'm Stacey Lynn. Because there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the U.S.
little bit about how to teach your grandkids about money. You know, it's time for that money conversation. So we got nine tips for you. And, you know, money is a touchy subject for a lot of people. It can be challenging to talk about it, especially with kids and grandkids. But it's essential to have that open and educational conversation about money with people in your life, including your kids and grandkids. So teaching kids early will build a lifetime of good financial habits. It's vital that you get the whole family involved. The responsibility lies with the parents and grandparents. Work in tandem with the parents and take the lead. Either way, the most important thing is to start. Families can grow stronger through these wealth-building conversations. So here are nine tips for grandparents to talk to grandchildren about money. We'll also include examples on how these conversations, education starts at home, or it starts at grandma and grandpa's house. So tip number one, let's start early. You know, it's never too early talking to kids about money. They're never too young. The earlier you start, the better. You can begin by teaching them the basics, such as what money is and how it works at an early age. As they get older, you can start discussing more complex topics, such as budgeting and saving. And be sure the conversation is age-appropriate. Introduce financial topics to kids as early as five years old. Talk about money, what it is, where it comes from, what, and, and start talking about budgeting and savings when they get a little older. A teenager? Discuss credit scores, checking, savings accounts, and investing. Allow them to use their own money to create healthy spending habits instead of buying all the gifts. And number two, use everyday situations as teaching moments. You don't need to sit down and have a formal conversation about money to teach your grandkids about it. Instead, you can use everyday situations as teaching moments. For example, if you make a trip to the grocery store, you can explain how coupons work or why comparing prices is important and show them what you spend money on and why. This way, they start learning about the personal finance without realizing it. And if you're older, you can use everyday situations to discuss more complex topics such as credit scores or investing. For example, if you're talking about your credit score with someone, take the opportunity to explain it and how it works for the children. And number three, make it relatable. When talking to kids about money, it's crucial to make it relatable. Use examples and stories that they can understand and relate to. For instance, if you're discussing saving money, you can tell them a story about how you saved for your first car. You can work with them to set goals for themselves. If you're talking about retirement, tell them a story about someone who didn't save enough money and now can't retire when they want to. This will help the kids understand why saving money is so important. Number four, keep it positive. Even though money can be a sensitive subject, it's essential to keep the conversation positive. This means avoiding topics that might cause stress or anxiety, such as debt or financial problems. Instead, focus on things like setting goals and making smart choices with money. Also, Talking about the emotions behind money can help take the sting out. For example, if you're discussing a budget, explain to them why it's essential to track their spending. This way, they can understand its reasoning and see that it's not just a restrictive exercise. And number five, be open and honest. Another tip for talking to kids about money, as I said, is be open and honest. It's important to let them know that you're not perfect with your finances, but are working hard to improve on your situation. Talk to kids about money and the tips and, and the ups and downs associated with it. If you also use this opportunity to teach them the importance of goal setting and saving up for things that they want. You can tell them how much money you make, save, and spend. You can also talk about any financial struggles that you may have faced. Honesty will help build trust between you and the children. It also will allow them to ask questions freely without feeling embarrassed or ashamed. And number six, make the conversation fun. So you can do this by incorporating games or activities into your conversation. For example, you can play a game where you pretend to be a different characters 
and see how they would save up for a dream vacation. This is a great way to teach kids about the different ways that people save money. You can also have more serious conversations about money if the grandkids are older. This is an excellent opportunity to teach them about budgeting, investing, and other financial concepts. And you can use this time to talk about your own experiences with money and being a role model for the children regarding money. Teach kids how to save up for things, budget your money, and make responsible financial decisions. This will help them understand that these concepts are essential and that they can apply them to their own lives and allow them to tell you what they would do in a given situation. For example, if you're at a store and you see something you want to buy but know that you shouldn't, ask them what they would do. Explain the concept of delayed gratification. This is a great way to get them thinking about responsible money management. Number eight, use resources that help these kids with their, have these conversations. Many excellent books, articles, and websites can help you to educate kids about money. You can also find game, games and activities that will make learning about money fun for them. And seek out the resources if you're struggling and what you know and how to start the conversation. And number nine, have patience. These conversations can't be difficult, but they're worth it. It's important to take your time and answer any questions that the grandkids have. That may not understand everything right away, but they will eventually. You didn't learn everything you know overnight. It takes time to learn about money, and kids are no different. Be patient, and they'll eventually get it. Keep planting the necessary seeds. A healthy relationship with money takes cultivation and time. So in conclusion, I have found these tips helpful. Remember, talking about money doesn't have to be complicated or tedious. Just be open, honest, and patient, and you'll be able to have great conversations with the kids in your life. And remember, adult children are not exempt. Even adults will always be your baby and can continue to learn from you. Some interesting thoughts to parry out as we enter into the new year. Change of direction here. We're going to talk a little bit about the five uh, benefits that employees want most. And the headlines of massive layoffs in the tech industry, the job market is still running hot. Americans are dropping out of the labor force as an aging population and lack of, uh, of immigration mean that the competition for workers is going to remain fierce. That's legal immigration, by the way. Of course, pay is paramount for most people. But beyond an attractive salary, in the current environment, companies need to find new ways to distinguish themselves as an employer of choice, according to experts. At first, companies were throwing money at the problem. You had retention bonuses. You had pay adjustments. And these did serve a purpose. But now we're seeing a shift, sustainable retention strategies. What are you going to do forward? Actually continue to redeem people and don't keep trying to Put, put out the fire with cash. So here are five top strategies that we're seeing. One is remote work. The opportunity to work from home tops the list of priorities for most candidates with remote-capable jobs. Studies have shown that remote work improve and get, improves engagement, cuts attrition, and boosts productivity, despite many bosses placing a high value on getting employees back to their desks. Number two, flexibility is a new magic word for recruiters. And for good reason. Flexibility or lack thereof is consistently one of the biggest reasons that employees cite for staying or leaving a job. Getting to work, work from home is just one aspect, though. It's about having control over your schedule in a more general way. Even organizations that have returned to work or have some, made some significant changes in how they think about flexibility. Some allow parents to cut and paste schedules. Leaving, leaving mid-afternoon to pick up kids and then logging back on later, or continuing to work late morning after having their kids, taking their kids to school. Then there's sustainable work. Companies are, are redesigning work to help be proactive. Uh, uh, <coughs> proactive rest that prevents burnout rather than responding to or after the fact. Some strategies, including meeting-free days, summer Fridays, Four-day weeks, firm-wide shutdowns, up, upping vacation time, 
reducing tech overhead, and even a daily nap. This still has just begun. I don't think it's a really, really true sustainable retention strategy, but I think these are going to be have more and have more employee experience as we move ahead. Staffers are basically overworked. Manage, our managers supportive. The companies that are really uh, come out the winners are there in this race will be the ones that with, where six months from now working there actually feels different. And then financial health. With compensation failing to keep pace with rising costs, workers are looking for employers that find other ways to take the edge off of inflation. An analysis found that one rising benefit is tuition assistance, offering about 8% of job postings in 2023-22. That was up from 7% in 21. And in the past, when people thought about financial well-being, they were definitely focused more on retirement and longer-term wealth, that there's other ways people can have better financial well-being, like elder care assistance, child care. This cost being covered by the company is a way that you have more money in your pocket. And number five is job security. So even if the labor market has stayed strong so far, applicants are likely to become more cautious as economic conditions shift. Uh, Startups and tech companies are especially unstable as the easy money era ends and a new wave of austerity begins. 2022, employees were penalized a so-called loyalty tax for staying with their employer rather than leaving for a pay raise elsewhere. This year, companies with a track record of stability, even in these challenging economic times, will be a better position to, to attract top talent than those flashy new startups that have yet to make a profit. Job security is going to be a bigger thing, with applicants gauging the strength of their employer's leadership business prospects, and financial resiliency. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live here on KGMI. We'll be back shortly. When I think about my grandparents, it takes me back to warm memories of meals shared around their dining room table and laughter exchanged around their fireplace. Hi, I'm Brad Barron, CEO and fourth-generation Barron at Barron Heating, AC, Electrical, and Plumbing. Over 50 years ago, my grandfather installed Barron's first fireplace in one of Whatcom County's newest developments, Sudden Valley. Grandpa Dan took great pride in his craftsmanship, ensuring that every fireplace or stove he installed was truly the heart of his customer's home. Today, Barron can continues this tradition by providing beautifully crafted hearth products through its Firelight by Baron division. Featuring America's best-known brands of stoves, fireplaces, and inserts, a Baron Firelight expert can help you build your perfect flame. Visit a Baron showroom today and browse our endless options tailored to your style and budget. Plus, save up to $300 with year-end specials good through January 31st. Let us set the stage for you to create memories that lasts for generations. Firelight by Baron, a tradition of warmth and beauty since 1972. Our mission, improving lives. Wilson's Furniture's winter sale is going on now. Your chance to save store-wide on living, dining, bedroom furniture and mattresses at the best prices of the year. Stop at Wilson's Furniture today. It's Wilson's Furniture's annual winter sale going on now. Wilson's on Pacific Highway in Ferndale. Get it, slip it, cup it, check. Talk to doctor now and share it. Nearly one in two U.S. adults have high blood pressure. That's why it's important to self-monitor your blood pressure in four easy-to-remember steps. It starts with a monitor. Be next to talk to your doctor about your blood pressure numbers. Get down with your blood pressure. Self-monitoring is power. Visit ManagerBP.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the American Heart Association, and the American Medical Association. In partnership with the Office of Minority Health and Health Resources and Services Administration. CHS Northwest has stepped out from the crowd and raised the minimum wage to $15 an hour and wants to add a few key team members. For all the locations and positions, check out chsnw.com slash employment. Join the CHS Northwest hometown team today. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. The last Saturday morning of 2022. Appreciate you being with us. If you got questions for us, you can always give us a call, 360-733-1200. And I hope everybody has a very happy new year. Well, I've been hearing about all this news about, I think in the news break, we heard about uh, passengers back at LaGuardia that were 
there couldn't plane couldn't catch their planes might have to take a bus to Atlanta and taking 21 hours to get there and all those other good things and you know not sure that we're going to see any big changes any real quick I saw a report that came out this week talked about the world just doesn't have enough planes as travel roars back basically as travel is springing back even as China dismantles its last remaining COVID curbs one stark truth beginning to emerge, the world is running desperately short of planes. Carriers like United Airlines, Air India, <coughs> placing or looking to place jet orders with a number of hundred in the hundreds <coughs> with Boeing Company and Airbus. They're are, are crowding variously uh, big blockbuster deals. Supply chains constraints mean those planes won't be delivered until possibly years down the track. Estimates are that the order backlog of 12,720 planes or aircraft currently, so right now a shortage of over 12,000, almost 13,000 planes. That means the sky-high airfares that people are complaining bitterly about over the last few months are here to stay, and things could get wetter but worse before they get better. People got used to lower fares during the pandemic, and China reopening was going to make it worse. It's not just a shortage of planes. But there's also other factors like oil prices. And while one cashed-up airline in particular, uh, juris- in a particular juris- jurisdiction may have financial wherewithal to bring prices down, that would likely cause other carriers to stumble, leading to even higher fares in the long run. So Boeing and Airbus, which are the plane-making giants that largely enjoy a duopoly uh, supplying passenger jets, are sold out for most of the popular single-aisle miles through at least 2029. And compounding the demand for airlines as people once again take to the skies is a vengeance and carriers look to refresh aging fleets are supply chain challenges, everything that's getting the necessary components to labor shortages. Airbus earlier this month dropped its delivery goal of 700 jetliners this year, and supply chain issues have previously warned that a jump in energy costs will wake particularly hard on smaller power-intensive producers, such as those making casings and forgings. Uh, And according to the founder of uh, Air Lease Corp., every jet delivered to one of its world's largest lessers over the last two years has been late. He said that we haven't gotten one airplane on time, whether it's a 737 MAX or a 787 or an A330, an A350. And the worst has been the A321 Neil. There have been delays as much as six to seven months comparing with contract delivery month to actual delivery. He said a combination of supply chain issues, ramping up too quickly, and and shortage of labor. Production workers can't work from home, so it's been a real problem. And the thousands of planes that carriers stored in d- deserts around the world, unsure of when demand would return as travel collapsed in the wake of COVID and, c- and countries shut borders, are also contributing to that shortage. Hundreds have not been brought back into fleets, either because they now need heavy-duty maintenance or after so long of not being used, or because airlines plan on phasing them out and haven't bothered slotting them back into their schedules. Read again that the airplane parking lot in the middle of nowhere has never been busier. The end result for flying public is eye-watering fares, which could rise even further as business travel returns and more people are willing to treat themselves as a, holi- to a, as a ho- holiday aboard for the first time in years. It also can mean flying in older planes. As a last resort, we can see airlines extending ownership cycles. Airlines in Asia historically fly, uh, fly their fleets about 12-year cycles, which is lower than most regions. But during the restructurings and carriers have gone through, even in the last few years, several airlines have extended their existing fleets, and they could be doing that more so in the future. Boeing and Airbus delivering planes that they sold on time is now a problem number one. Airbus is already seeing airlines reluctant to place new orders for jets, considering its backlog of more than 6,100 planes for the Neil A320 Neil family. It would take eight years to fill, and while it's a long-touted plan to ramp up its production to as many as 75 A320s a month, 
It's now pushing back on that goal to the middle of the decade. Investors in Boeing, which has announced around 850 orders this year, including the mid-December United Airlines deal, are meanwhile concerned in the slow progress of the U.S. plane maker has made in resolving its supply chain issues and speeding wor- spending work in its fa- 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 factories. The other bright spot, or the one bright spot, I should say, is employees working in the sector probably won't be laid off anytime soon. But the order backlogs are big enough that a recession wouldn't really ma- matter right now. The manufacturers and airlines are going to hold onto the people, even if they have small hiccups. So rather interesting to see what's happening out there in the airline industry at this point in time and with the airlines in general. Okay, you know, we keep hearing about student loan relief. A lot of confusion about whether student loans will be given, forgiven. Everyone is. It's been a tumultuous year for those with federal loan student debt. We had an uh, announcement by President Biden about a program to forgive up to $20,000 in debt that was met with cheers in August. Then a federal judge in Texas struck it down in November, and now the Supreme Court is going to take up that case early in 23. And for those trying to plan their finances, the black and forth is a great headache. Forgiveness could be a life-changing for those struggling under mountains of debt, but it's difficult to make concrete decisions amid the uncertainty, and some borrowers are losing hope altogether. Plus, the planned resumption of monthly payments in 23 has been on, which has been on a pause for almost three years following the onset of the pandemic, could significantly affect those already dealing with inflation and a weakening economy. And all those, for those reasons are unknown, we advisors have some strategies that we think can help you prepare. Number one, know the details of what the Biden proposal is. After not being required to make monthly payments for so long, borrowers are forgotten or purposely ignored the details of their debt. Now's the time to refamiliarize yourself with it. Number two, recommend uh, we recommend uh, borrowers figure out what loan services that they now have. It might have changed during the pandemic, and whether their contract information is up to the contact information is up to date. Plus, it's smart to know the interest rate on your loans and how much the monthly payments might be in 2023. And for those that have payments on auto pay, check to make sure the bank account information is still correct and on file. And you likely don't need to make any actions if loans quite yet. Just complete your information and make sure that your servicer knows how to reach you. Number f- Next, pay yourself. During the pandemic pause, we have recommended not making payments since Biden's forgiveness plan also uh, was unclear and debt wasn't accruing interest. That advice still applies, but it's important to set aside that money so when payments resume. So I tr- try paying yourself each month, putting that cash into a high-yield savings account. Practice getting into the habit of making those payments again. Set this money aside in a separate account and don't touch it unless you have an absolute emergency. That way, when if the Biden forgiveness plan does fall through and the requirement pay payments resume, there's cash ready to go. And if loans are forgiven, borrowers will have the improve their savings and be helpful in the case of a recession next year. And if the courts rule against forgiveness, you could even pay off your loans that day if you have enough money saved up. So keep saving that money, keep putting it away. You could keep paying those payments too. The exceptions, there are some cases in which paying off student loans could be could not now could be a good idea. If someone thinks that they'll be tempted to spend any extra cash that they have sitting in their bank account, they might be one scenario where it just makes sense to go ahead and pay those loans earlier. And for those who hate the psychological burden of debt hanging over them, making payments may also be worth it for the reduced stress. And of course, anyone who has a private student loans will be gathering interest should try to pay them down as quickly as possible. It also can help to pay off your student loans if you're planning to apply for a mortgage, even having, even have, since having debt can negatively affect your credit scores. And mortgage lenders will evaluate a borrower's debt-to-income ratio and credit score, so paying off that student debt, loan debt could lower your debt-to-income ratio 
and usually increases your credit score. So got student loan debt. Maybe you don't want to play around with not paying it. Maybe you want to go ahead and pay it down and get it behind you. This has been Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live here in KGMI this Sunday morning. Again, last Saturday of 2022. Looking forward to 2023. Don't know what the economy is going to bring us. Don't know what the markets are going to bring us. Don't know if we're going to have a recession. Don't know if it's going to be a little recession or a deep recession. Those are things, I guess, that we're going to talk about this next year. In the meantime, I hope that everybody had a very good Christmas holiday again and looking forward to 2023. Happy New Year. Don't forget our show tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. And if you've got questions for us, give us a call, 360-733-1200. Thanks and have a good week. voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor.